podcast, cutting edge conversations with the Quant community. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Quantcast, Risk.net podcast on Quant Finance. This is the last one recorded in 2021. And my guest today is Matthew Dixon, Assistant Professor of Applied Mathematics at the Illinois Institute of Technology. Hi, Matthew. Good to have you with us. Uh, although uh, uh, just connected remotely. How are you? Uh, good. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here, Maura. Um, in the past few years, I believe your name has been largely associated with the development of uh, machine learning solutions. Uh, today, however, we are not going to talk about machine learning for once, uh, but rather uh, about a paper on the decomposition of portfolio risk into individual contribution of uh, factors, fund managers, instruments, and potentially other criteria as well. Uh, the paper is titled Delta Gamma Component Value at Risk, Nonlinear Risk Decomposition. And you authored it with um, um, your colleague, uh, or rather, uh, yeah, uh, rather your, your peer, James Goldcamp, who is director at uh, HedgeFact. The paper is online in Risk.net and uh, it appears in print in the January edition of Risk. Uh, let's start with uh, the very basics. Could you summarize for us the purpose of this paper? Yes, the, the main purpose is to present um, an analytic approximation for estimating the decomposition of value at risk across uh, derivative sub-portfolios. Uh, sub so when there is a, a fund, it may have several managers that manage uh, different uh, sub-portfolios. Uh, and the goal is to estimate uh, what the contribution of each of the sub-portfolios are to the overall value at risk of the portfolio. Um, and the methodology is suitable for portfolios that, that hold derivatives, so that, that there's a nonlinear dependency on the, uh, the market risk factors. Uh, and moreover, it is a fast uh, analytic approximation that does not require, for example, uh, Monte Carlo simulation. And uh, what was the motivation behind this work? So I know you um, are a risk consultant and uh, you consult with uh, uh, several head, uh, fund managers. Uh, was this a question? Uh, was the question on how uh, to decompose portfolio risk into individual managers' contributions asked to you as part of those consultancies? Yes. So um, broadly, you know, I um, my expertise in the area of of computational statistics, uh, machine learning, um, and uh, when it comes to estimating risk, of course, um, the, you know that falls. Uh, typically within the realm of, of statistics and, and especially, uh, you know, algorithmic techniques or computational statistics. Um, and, you know, a, a, a frequent problem that arises um, is how do you uh, estimate the, the decomposition of, of this value of risk across the portfolio um, in a way that accounts for uh, correlations across uh, factors and in in sub-portfolios uh, and is also additive. And a number of techniques which are being used um, currently lead to very non-intuitive results. So um, I'll speak a little bit more about those uh, in a moment, but uh, the real motivation was to try to present uh, a technique that would be uh, very quick to compute, so it would scale easily to, you know, to large portfolios, um, for example, 
Um, and moreover would be uh, intuitive in the sense that you could add up um, the individual contributions. So there would be an additive um, component value at risk. And to, importantly, um, it, it should be uh, effective and robust when there are uh, you know, options and futures and so on um, in the portfolio. And, you know, this is a problem that has been clearly, um, you know, in the literature for some time, and uh, there doesn't seem to be any uh, clear um, way on how to address it uh, unless uh, you use techniques like Monte Carlo. I think with that, you, you probably answered part of uh, the question that I have in mind uh, now, which is, um, so I know the literature on risk decomposition is, is vast and uh, it goes back decades. Um, mm -hmm. what, what is this work adding to it? You, you talked about the uh, additive uh, features, but is there any, anything else? Yes, I think, um, you know, the, if you sort of look at the literature, um, it's, you know, it often, you know, there, there's really sort of two branches to the literature. Uh, there's, uh, you know, literature covering uh, decomposition. Um, and, you know, this, these typically will make uh, some assumptions about the factors and in particular that, that uh, the dependency of the portfolio returns on these factors is linear and the portfolio itself, uh, the returns or the loss distribution is Gaussian. Uh, and so these are often far too simplistic uh, to be used for uh, for portfolios where there is there's clearly uh, you know, a number of exotic instruments or there's there's a lot of nonlinearity uh, in that portfolio. Uh, and the, and the other sort of branch of the literature deals, I would say, more effectively with how to uh, approximate uh, portfolio risk uh, in the in the presence of derivatives uh, and in particular. You know, asymptotic expansion, so 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 fast techniques uh, that that uh, require um, maybe some form of sampling, um, or they are entirely uh, uh, sample free. They're entirely sort of approximation based, and uh, and so this paper really is trying to sort of merge those two branches together, uh, and uh, and so it it is trying to on the one hand. Uh, Build on uh, some of the literature around how to deal with nonlinear factors in the portfolio, um, and on the other hand, how to uh, make this technique uh, sort of consistent with the decomposition uh, literature that that is available. Um, and so, um, what what we do not do here, and I think um, you know, I'll say a little bit more about that at the end, uh, is uh, you know, we, we just focus here on on value at risk and obviously the caveat there is that uh, you know that's shown not to satisfy the axioms of, of a coherent risk measure um, but uh, you know that's uh, you know the sort of standard for you know, any value at risk approximation I see maybe a, a little bit more technically but what are the uh, challenges in achieving such the composition for a portfolio with nonlinear risk factors? Yes, it, it, I'd say that the challenges are twofold. Um, so 
a, a decomposition approach which is based on linear factors, for example, um, has the benefit of, of working with Gaussian uh, loss distribution and uh, and also it's very easy to split up the uh, the risk uh, under what's called a delta approximation. So this is the, the linear approximation to the, to the portfolio risk. And it's very easy sort of mathematically to, to write down um, nice simple expressions, algebraic expressions for the decomposition of the risk um, you know, across a, a sub portfolio, for example. As soon as you add in the nonlinearity, uh, there are two uh, challenges to consider. The first is you no longer have a, Ga a Gaussian portfolio loss distribution. And the second challenge is that you now have a convexity term. And the question arises of how to split up that convexity term uh, into the uh, components or the contribution of each of the sub portfolios. And so this is the main sort of intellectual challenge, if you will, technical challenge, which is addressed uh, in, in the papers, is how to deal with, with these two challenges. And just to be clear, what are the typical uh, nonlinear factors? Derivatives or others as well? Yeah, so we're, we're talking primarily here about, um, and you know, the main motivation for this work was, uh, you know, we have derivatives and therefore we have a nonlinear dependency on factors such as the futures contracts. Um, it could be uh, stocks. It could be, you know, um, for example, uh, could also be yield um, and the instrument could be a bond. Uh, so there are many examples, primarily um, derivatives, where there's that nonlinear dependency on the underlying. And so the underlying and the risk factors, uh, but you also have currency. Um, if you have non-USD uh, non or non-GBP, uh, for example, denominated portfolios and you have different currencies, then you also have to include um, these other uh, factors that, such as currency and there may be a nonlinear dependency on those. Uh, for example, if, if, if the portfolio has FX um, options in, in it too. Um, so it, it, it really is, uh, you know, these factors really are just any market risk factor where uh, there is some derivative that, uh, or some nonlinear dependency of 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 the price of that instrument um, on that particular factor. So the common ones are, uh, as I said, you know, futures contracts, um, but of course they can include currency and and uh, stock prices and yield. I see. Uh, you build your method on the delta gamma approximation. Uh, could you explain what it is and how it works in intuitive terms? Yes. Uh, so the the delta gamma and and technically it's called the the delta gamma theta model um, is 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 sort of built on what's known as the quadratic portfolio model, uh, and this is a model which expresses the changes in the portfolio value as a quadratic function in the risk factor. So it has that uh, convexity term that I mentioned in it, um, and and so the benefit of the model is it it it, it captures the correlation between the risk factors, um, and and that um, and there is an assumption there that that the the history of those risk factors is stationary. Uh, so you you can of course extend the the framework to 
some sort of dynamic correlation model, um, such as you know EWMA, for example. But the the main setup itself is, is is a little bit more sort of general. It's a little bit more agnostic to the how the correlation is modeled. It's just simply a, a functional form for for modeling um, portfolio losses as uh, in terms of the risk factors. And the assumptions are typically that the risk factor itself uh, or the returns of those risk factors are, are Gaussian. Um, and the challenge then is to write down what the distribution of the portfolio losses, given that the risk factors are Gaussian um, and there's a nonlinear function on the Gaussian. Uh, and the delta gamma splits up uh, in a little bit like a Taylor expansion. Um, it splits up the 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 portfolio loss into a linear and a uh, quadratic term, uh, and this quadratic term is uh, generally quite cumbersome to deal with. And uh, that's uh, but the approach is has the benefit of being both an approximation and also can be Monte Carlo based. Um, and if you pursue the Monte Carlo approach, it's much faster than using what's called full uh, revaluation or full, full pricing. Um, and so there is um, a technique that's often used is to write, uh, you know, to, is to evaluate the portfolio loss as a, uh, in terms of the option prices, if you have options in your portfolio. Um, and the problem is that, you know, it's often very computationally intensive to, uh, to, to evaluate these options. And so the delta gamma approach bypasses the need for full reevaluation, the you know, option pricing models, which can obviously for exotics can be very difficult. Or uh, you can entirely avoid um, Monte Carlo sampling um, and use uh, other approaches, asymptotic approaches, for um, coming up with the, 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 the loss distribution. Uh, you take uh, Jorian's linear component var as a sort of a a benchmark for the linear portfolio case, if it's correct to say that. I, how do you expand on it to to add the nonlinearities? Yes. Yeah, so to add the nonlinearities, you have to add in the um, the 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 convexity term. And the key part here is understanding the mapping um, of the underlying risk factors in each of the subportfolios and their contribution to that convexity term. And uh, one ends up using some uh, linear algebra uh, essentially to decompose that convexity term uh, into uh, various components which uh, attribute that, that convexity term to the individual uh, subportfolios or you know, collection of instruments. So it's really, in some sense, it's generalizing what the Jorian approach does for the linear case to the nonlinear case. Um, and it's really, uh, if you think of what Jorian does as really an algebra, sort of in terms of sort of a linear algebra operation, then uh, this is, you know, this is essentially what's what's being done here. I, I mean, matrix algebra type operation. That what we do with the nonlinear term is it you know, is sort of 
and a really extension of that uh, using matrix decompositions to, to, to really break down that, or matrix algebra to break down that term. And if you apply your uh, nonlinear component VAR to a linear portfolio, what you obtain is pretty much the same of what you would obtain with a classic linear method because the uh, convexity term is, uh, is zero. Is that the case? That's correct, yes. So if you do not have nonlinear dependence of risk factors in the portfolio, so for example, there's no derivatives, it's just uh, you know underlying instruments um, with a linear dependency on the risk factors, then of course the convexity term vanishes. There's there's no gamma uh, in your portfolio, for example, and the term uh, zeroes out, and you recover the uh, you know the classical Jurian linear component var um, as 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 really as a special case. Um, so that's also I think one one nice sort of feature of the of the, the approach is that it it's intuitive. If, um, and if you do not have options, then you should recover the uh, the you know the, the the classical approach mm, of uh, and uh, uh, the Cornish Fisher expansion is another key uh, to your solution. Um, could you give us uh, an intuition of what it is and how how it contributes to to this? Yes, it's so. What the Cornish Cornish Fisher expansion is is really uh, it's an asymptotic expansion used to approximate the quantiles of a probability distribution, and it's using essentially um, what's known as the cumulants. These are somewhat similar to moments, uh, but it's using the cumulants to write down um, a, a distribution which is close to a Gaussian distribution. Uh, and what it does essentially is it avoids using computationally expensive uh, operations, uh, such as matrix decompositions, uh, and it also avoids the problem of directly estimating the percentiles of a moment match type distribution. Um, you know, if you sample the moments, you try to match the distribution uh, in some way. That 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 doing that is quite problematic. Um, it can lead to poor um, results. And the on the other hand, the Corn Cornish Fisher expansion is just a simple asymptotic expansion. It uses Hermite polynomials um, to, to approximate a sort of nearby distribution. Uh, and so if you think of a Gaussian distribution and you sort of tilt it a little bit, give it maybe a bit of a fatter tail, um, in some sense, if you're asymptotically close in the cumulants um, of, the, of, of the Gaussian distribution, then you can write down this, you know, in, in any nearby distribution. And so it obviously has the limitation that it's a nearby distribution. So if your portfolio has very strong nonlinearity that would result in, say, a multimodal distribution or some you know, significant departure from the Gaussian distribution, then uh, clearly the assumptions or the asymptotic nature of the expansion would, would you know, be increasingly sort of um, severe and limited. So it, it, it stood up well. It has a number of nice properties about it. Um, and you know, ensuring, for example, monotonicity 
of the value at risk with respect to the to the percentile. Um, and it also, as I said, is, is very fast and, and that's you know, why it's gained traction. Um, and you know, there are competing sort of asymptotic expansion approaches, um, Edgeworth expansions. Those are used quite a lot in quant finance as well. Um, American option pricing models, for example. But I think um, it's a very, uh, I think it's a very, you know, stood, it stood the test for, for nearly 100 years. Um, and so I think it's a, a, a sort of a, a, a beautiful result in a way that um, enables us to capture nonlinearity um, and adjust the portfolio loss distribution in, in, a, in a consistent way. How does your method compare to other approaches uh, to component bar, uh, different from the Jorian's one? For example, uh, Apple and Smilly, um, there is a, a more recent one that also has been published in Risk a few, quite a few years ago. Yes, yeah, so the, the, the Apple and Smilly approach that you mentioned um, uses a kernel approximation um, and is Monte Carlo based. Uh, so if you uh, were to sample uh, from this uh, from this distribution, uh, you know, from the underlying sample, the portfolio loss distribution, um, in a you know, uh, in, a, in a sort of randomized way, so that you have you, know, you have your your loss distribution, uh, it uses a, a kernel approximation approach to uh, essentially try to uh, approximate the you know the, the decomposition um, and it really requires um, some sort of tuning uh, for it for it to work uh, and as the main the, I think the main sort of disadvantage of that approach is that it does uh, it is sensitive to sampling error uh, and so you need uh, you know sufficient number of you know quote unquote sufficient number of uh, samples and of course you know when you have very large portfolios uh, that can become quite computationally intensive and memory intensive uh, to to do that. So our approach is does not use Monte Carlo. Uh, we just use a asymptotic expansion. Uh, we use the delta gamma approximation, a delta gamma theta approximation. Um, and the obvious difference would be that in using the delta gamma theta uh, approximation, we are are making sort of two assumptions that the Epperlein and Smalley approximation uh, does not make. Uh, one of them is that we neglect higher order terms, so third order, fourth order, um, that may may be relevant. Um, um, and I think a, a more important point is that um, you know we are using this Cornish-Fisher expansion, and again, uh, that is a sort of a nearby distribution. Um, and it may not be very accurate um, in the extreme percentiles. Um, in the paper, there are a couple of examples uh, in which you show how uh, uh, the component bar behaves in, uh, in action. Uh, there are some pretty uh, compelling tables that compare with, uh, with other uh, other methods. Um, could you summarize uh, what are the results, the most striking results that we can deduce from there? Yes, before I um, sort of mention those tables, I'll, I'll just 
you know, make one point about the results in that, you know, when we compare numerically, uh, so what I, in my previous answer, I, I spoke about the conceptual differences between uh, the FLI and Smiley um, kernel approximation method and our approach. When you get to the numerical results, um, they actually line up uh, very nicely. Um, and also they uh, are different in only in uh, the limit as the you know percentile goes to to a hundred percent. So we do see, as expected, a little bit of uh, of a difference, um, and uh, you know that's that's to be expected, of course, for the reasons I mentioned previously. When we look at the results, um, we are actually comparing to a number of other techniques that I sort of briefly alluded to at the beginning uh, of this uh, interview. One is that uh, we were quite alarmed to see various techniques being used for decomposition in in the industry, um, and so one of them is is what's known as marginal VAR or MVAR, and this measures the difference between the VAR of the portfolio um, and the VAR of the portfolio without the subportfolio. So you you, you take your subportfolio um, that you're interested in measuring the risk of, um, and then you measure the VAR. Uh, with that and then without it and take and take the difference. Um, so that's one approach uh, that we compare against. And uh, the other approach that is widespread um, and, and used is what's known as incremental VAR. You know, this has been um, a technique that's been, you know, sort of uh, part of various iterations of the Basel um, requirements for, for risk modeling. Um, and Incremental risk is you know, well known in the industry, and that approach essentially treats each subportfolio as being entirely independent. Um, now, both of those methods, incremental VAR, IFAR, um, and MVAR, both suffer from a number of deficiencies which we see um, play out in our results. So one is that if you add up um, the, uh, the, the, the subportfolio risk, um, in in our approach, then it will indeed match the overall portfolio in 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 totality, uh, and you do not see that, for example, with um, with the uh, with the uh, with the uh, if we look if, with the incremental VAR. So just taking these individual portfolio VARs at the subportfolio level and adding them up does not equal the, the value at risk over the entire portfolio. Uh, and that's also true for the for the marginal VAR. So there is a, a lack of consistency there, which when you're reporting value at risk in the decomposition um, is leads to a very unintuitive result that you, when you add these up across the, these decompositions, whether it's MVAR or IVAR, and you'll see that in, in the table. So that's one uh, observation is that we have that consistency. Uh, the second one is that, as I mentioned, uh, these approaches are in some way neglecting in part or entirely correlation between the risk factors uh, across and, and correlation across therefore the instruments across the sub portfolios. Incremental VAR entirely neglects those correlations. Mm. Uh, and since risk is so intricately tied to co-movements um, of the risk factors, uh, it is a it, it leads to very different results uh, when you look at the uh, um, breakdown 
And one could argue that if you're relying on incremental VAR or, or marginal VAR, uh, you are, by using our method as a baseline, for example, uh, you could uh, infer very misleading results about your risk exposure at a sub-portfolio level. Um, and so one sort of expectation for this methodology is, um, and, and in the spirit of the Epiline and, and um, Smilly approach, is to really um, ensure that the methodology being used for risk decomposition is, um, is consistent and it's intuitive, um, and it uh, also uh, should provide some warning sign uh, for relying on some of these other uh, risk decomposition approaches, the incremental VAR, the marginal VAR, uh, which unfortunately uh, are sort of uh, perhaps more, more prevalent than, than they should be by virtue of their simplicity. Um, and so that's really why uh, that they are there because it's it's a it's a sort of quick and dirty calculation, um, and so our table and our results there showing um, representative portfolios uh, for for a CTA uh, commodity trading advisor uh, highlight just how uh, severe the the misinterpretation could be. I see. Very interesting and. Uh... Uh, you mentioned those uh, uh, those two approaches being particularly widespread in the industry uh, with potentially worrying uh, consequences in the interpretation of what they uh, output. Uh, how about this particular method? I don't, I'm not actually aware of when you and James developed it, but um, is this applied in the industry as far as you know? So I think, um, you know, when we, when we developed the methodology, um, we... Uh, you know, we we obviously developed it for um, for Hedgefax, which is you know providing a, a cloud-based uh, risk management solution to to hedge funds. So, um, to 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 the extent that you know its client base is now using this methodology, um, you know that's 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 obviously uh, the case. Uh, but more generally, we haven't seen that methodology being applied in in similar products. Um, for example, risk metrics. Uh, and so uh, it is uh, something that I think, you know, it, 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 should, it should hopefully catch on um, as a methodology for, for fast risk decomposition. Obviously, the Jurian uh, approach is widely known. Um, and I think what has perhaps stopped the Epiline and Smalley approach from being more widely adopted is because it you know, it's Monte Carlo based, it's quite cumbersome to get a quick um, sort of decomposition approach, which is consistent uh, and accounts for nonlinearity. So I, I don't think it's, um, you know, while, while a, you know, our approach is certainly not, um, you know, it just, you know, it's not just a few symbols, it, it probably will require uh, a little bit more sophistication in its usage, but it is quick. And I think that's one um, major advantage that you don't have to keep running, you know, more and more mm -hmm. simulations to get the, the decomposition. Uh, you can you can get it um, very quickly, and um, and you can also, if you're doing sort of what if scenarios, and you're you know restructuring the portfolio in some way, uh, you don't need to to do the, the Monte Carlo simulation um, as in the the Epiline Smiley approach. 
So I think it, it, it does lend itself to certain use cases which would be otherwise computationally prohibitive uh, for large portfolios. So I think it's you know, safe to say that it's you know, just one approach which um, could, could, could certainly gain some traction. We've, we've provided some source code uh, to make it easy to use. Um, and obviously, um, the paper there will, will hopefully um, uh, you know, uh, sort of seat um, a more uh, sort of broader uh, sort of discussion around sort of the best methodologies um, to be used. And, um, and certainly the starting point is to, is to make the software available. Absolutely. Uh, just to conclude, are you working on any related research projects? So one area that I mentioned at the beginning is um, we just consider value at risk so far in this paper, um, and that's obviously rather limited. Uh, the CVAR um, in particular is one that is now, you know, the, the expected shortfall um, mm -hmm. is, uh, I think, more widely respected. Uh, it's more robust. It, it's a coherent risk measure. So one area that we're working on is extending the methodology to expected shortfall. Um, so that's uh, something that, for example, Bold, uh, Chris Bold and others have done with, with a linear decomposition approach. Uh, and so we're uh, looking to do, uh, so that's the Bold um, Peterson um, work that uh, I think goes back more than 10 years now, but they have R code uh, to do that. And that's uh, one, I think, of the more widely used decomposition approaches because they've released R and R library. Uh, and so what we're trying to do essentially is, is uh, you know, hopefully sort of follow suite by being able to match some of the functionality in that um, portfolio performance library that uh, Brian Peterson and, and others wrote uh, to include this, uh, the methodology in our paper, which is the, the nonlinear uh, delta gamma um, decomposition approach. Interesting. Looking forward to that. Matthew, thank you very much. It was uh, really good talking to you and uh, hearing the uh, explanations on, uh, on your recent work. Thank you very much, Mara. Uh, it was a pleasure. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Mm -hmm.